0: If you're AT&T or Verizon, you know, you've got unlimited resources, you probably have built a great payment portal experience, but for the vast majority of these businesses or government agencies, those experiences stink. You're listening to Payments Innovation, a podcast dedicated to helping business leaders navigate today's global digital economy. Looking to learn about the latest innovations within fintech and payments? You've come to the right place.
1: Let's get into the show. Welcome to another episode of the Payments Innovation Podcast. This is your host, Chris D'Antoano with Currency Cloud. And today, happy to have Danny Shader from Pay Near Me. Danny, welcome to the show.
0: Hey, it's great to be here. And thank you very much for including
1: Of course, it's really good to have you on, especially now with some really hone in topics that we can cover given the time that we're in. But for a brief background for yourself, uh, if you could, for our listeners, to tell us about your journey as founder and CEO of Pay Near Me.
0: Well, let's see. I'm uh, I'm pushing 60, so I'm an old man here in the uh, Silicon Valley, um, but I've you know been involved in a series of startups uh, that have had different exits. One that was acquired by Motorola. One that was acquired by Amazon. In fact, uh, I worked for Jeff Bezos personally as his assistant for about a year or so, wow. and uh, got started in this business actually about 12 years ago, and it has evolved from a totally wacky, crazy original thing into a full platform that handles. All of the customer interactions around payments for uh, businesses and government agencies that have recurring payment needs. So we're, we're presenting the, uh, the portal, we're presenting the mobile experience, we're running the customer service rep interface, we're processing all the different tender types, including cash, by the way, through our own proprietary cash network, We're running all the business logic that controls how people pay. We're rolling the IVR. So it's really everything that sits between the underlying system of record that might have a loan in it or a a municipal utility account in it. Everything above that, that then sits between the customers who want to pay and the customer service reps who are interacting with them, all in service of, frankly, delivering a great killer experience, I'm sorry, a killer payment experience, a great experience Mm -hmm. for those businesses and government agencies to their consumers. And the reason that matters is, it allows those businesses and government agencies to get paid, which is important. And secondly, because it's good and effective and pleasant and works well, it reduces the number of customer service interactions that happen and therefore significantly improves the economics of payments.
1: Yeah, which you know, especially in those sectors is, is immense value, I guess, to, to remove some of the friction with the customer service and the timely aspect for both you know, the consumer and, and the company itself. For um, sure, and if
0: you think about it, in many of these cases, this might be the only interaction that that business or government agency has with the consumer on right. right. So how'd you like to have you know, your only interaction with your, with your customers suck every month? Like, that's not good.
1: So like the DMV.
0: <laughs> well, in fact, it's exactly right. Often when people ask me to describe, you know, what are you fixing? And then we'll think about your experience, paying most government agencies, you know, these are usually ancient systems, probably written in COBOL, and nobody's, you know, somebody slaps some lousy web interface on the front end of it, and contrast that with your payment experience at Amazon or Uber, right? I mean, the bar has gone up so high on the consumer side of the business, but it's really been terribly, uh, it, it, it's technically terrible on these recurring billers. If you're and or Verizon, you know, you've got unlimited resources, you probably have built a great payment portal experience, but for the vast majority of these businesses or government agencies those experiences stink mm-hmm. and they don't have the development resources that can go take a brain tree or a stripe or something like that and build a system on top of it uh, and whatever limited resources they've got they probably need to apply to things that, that are unique to that to that entity's uh, business operations right so that leaves as a second fiddle you know as, you know to something that nobody cares about this payment experience which in fact is fundamental. And since we have built this very flexible platform that can be made to look and operate exactly the way those businesses and government agencies want, and we're using that platform across you know thousands of endpoints, it's far more economical for us to do that for those businesses and government agencies for them than for them to try to do it themselves.
1: Mm-hmm. So you
0: know, it's a classic, classic, you know, better living through software kind of uh, situation.
1: Yeah, it is. And, and I guess touching on the, the industries that you guys are are, are serving today, um, it, it brings up, I guess, our first point, which is pretty relevant with the, the, the pandemic and it's probably giving uh, the momentum to digital payment solutions, especially in the sectors that, that you mentioned. You know, what do you see as far as trends at Pay Near Me and do you expect those to continue in um, next year and beyond after that?
0: As a result of COVID. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So so most people know Pay Near Me uh, for our cash network. So we built the only real-time cash acceptance network where a consumer can walk in with a barcode to a 7-Eleven or CBS CVS or any one of 27,000 retail locations, have that barcode scanned, hand over their cash, and in real time have their account credited, their loan credited, their government payment credited, et cetera. So we get a lot of phone calls from businesses and government agencies that want to close their payment windows because they don't want to expose their employees to COVID. Right. And uh, so that's been a huge driver of introductions. Then we show them the whole platform we've built, and they compare that to typically the mediocre to terrible infrastructure we have in Mm -hmm. place today. And they're like, hey, that's a really good idea. Let's do that. And so COVID as a result, for the most part, has been a huge positive driver for us, mostly in terms of introducing companies who might not have thought about us to them and then they realize what we're doing and, and then we win the business.
1: Yeah. So that's a good open door for you guys, obviously, to be able to as you mentioned, um, give access and, and opportunity to other areas of, uh, you know, of your platform itself. You know, what, what do you think the main drive is behind that? Um, is it the demand uh, because of the, you know, the situation that we're in with, with the pandemic or do you see, uh, you know, time, time and time again, that uh, just the trends were, we're moving towards digital in-, in, oh, the in clip.
0: Yeah, yeah. So very near term, we're obviously seeing a huge benefit from COVID because of, because of the need to outsource cash. But in general, digitization is happening broadly. And right. look, if you are responsible, if you run a mid-sized lender or you're running to municipality, you're hearing all the time about how lousy your payment experience is. So you're itching to upgrade it most likely. You might be locked into some contract with a lousy vendor you were working with today and you're waiting for that to expire and or you're actively looking today knowing that's going to expire and engaging, hopefully engaging us and seeing how great this could be uh, and then choosing to work with us. So those are the those are the two dominant uh, trends that are working in our favor. It just just to, I just want to, can't drive home enough, the fact that consumers' expectations around payment experiences have changed dramatically over the five or six years because of how great Experiences are at the commerce sites, or in some of these new businesses like Uber, or you know places where the where the payment becomes invisible, mm-hmm. and then you go from that to your government site or your you know midsize lender or you know your municipal site, and you're like, we have this terrible experience, and it's like, so you're like, why is this so bad? Mm-hmm. And by the way, maybe you're interacting then with you know that business and telling them how bad it is, and they're you know they know that. Plus, they're watching their customer service inquiries because the website was confusing, or the payment didn't post, or something didn't—you know—something didn't work right. And your and those folks are itching to improve those experiences to make them as good as what they're seeing on the commerce side.
1: Right, and it, it's essentially raised the standard uh, in in payments itself. And then, sure. um, obviously, as that um, progresses, then it should uh, at least what it's what you like you mentioned with the brain trees and stripes of the world. It eliminates or reduces. Friction for customer, you know, service or or support, and that can all be done through you know, technology yeah. and, and hopefully more of a frictionless, seamless experience. But, um, exactly. but just sense. I just want to drop
0: on that that the Braintree and Stripe are awesome if you have a development organization that can take them and build them right. into your product. But the vast majority of corporate accounts and and government accounts don't have that capability, right? And the few engineers they've got need to work on problems that, that are unique to that, right? If I'm a lender, do I want my engineers working on the risk model or the payment experience? Mm-hmm. The payment experience is essential because it's how I drive my revenue. But heck, if I could have pay near me, just come in and take its system and configure it and have it solve all my problems for less than it would have cost me to build it myself and I can keep my engineers on, on the risk model, that's the no-brainer, better business decision.
1: Of course. Yeah. And yeah, like you mentioned, those sort of specific segments um, aren't, don't really front load their, their engineer resource. And so it's, um, you know, it's about finding that value, you know, time to market and really understanding how they can reduce that for their customers. Um, to, I guess, could, could you go a little bit about the, the features that your product specifically serves comparable to, as you mentioned, you know, you're bringing that customer experience for the segments that you're going after. You know, what type of features are in there so um, that you can bring value for, for them and their
0: end customers. Well, so let's first of all describe what we're doing. Our system is reaching into a system of record, say it's a management system. We're extracting key data fields, relabelizing them, normalizing them, and then writing them back as necessary into that system. Mm-hmm. And above that, every possible part of the interaction with mm-hmm. the consumer is managed, right? So the mobile portal, we're presenting. The mobile experience we're presenting, the IVR we're running, where our software is interacting potentially with the print and mailhouse, the customer service reps are interacting with us, the auto pay is scheduled through us, the future payments are scheduled through us, the business logic that controls who can pay with what form of tender, when, and under what circumstances, and when that can be overruled, is controlled by us mm-hmm. or subcomponents of that, because people may have some or they want to mix and match components. So, for example. I'll give you a simple example. Almost any recurring biller will want their consumer to pay with uh, ACH, except when that consumer's ACH has NSF'd has bounced over the last couple of mm-hmm. months. That customer has just come from your most economic customer to your least economic customer. Right. Well, you can just set up a business rule and pay near me without code that just says if you know NS if NSF twice in 60 days, turn that channel off.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, there's a business rule that now that's not available for the consumer to pay that way. Gotcha. Okay. Well, wait a minute. What if the customer calls the customer service rep, and, and tells you know, and explains the customer service rep what happens? Enable the now you have another business rule. Enable the customer service rep to overrule that previous rule, mm-hmm. or only enable to overrule it if he has approval or she has approval from their manager. Mm-hmm. Oh, but maybe you're changing the price of that because it's no longer recurring. It's now a one-time ACH. All that kind of stuff.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Plus, by the way. Integration into Apple Wallet, integration into the Google Wallet, handling Apple Pay and Google Pay and in the future, PayPal and Venmo and all that. All of that stuff is all done in our software without requiring development on the part of our customers. We're just configuring, turning the knobs and, you know, going into our configuration screens and setting it up so it manages all that for them on a hosted basis.
1: So that brings up a good point, I guess, for my next point that I wanted to cover is, I guess, one provider versus multiple providers. Now, a lot right. of those areas or features that you just mentioned, there's a lot of businesses that are in, in, juggling multiple different partners to be able to handle, you know, that maybe that ACH poll, um, debit uh, solution, and then then having a risk matrix in the back and, and all of that. So um, could you talk about like the, the benefits to having one provider versus many? Um, sure.
0: I mean, generally speaking, Well, if you have multiple vendors, you've got multiple contracts, you're you're integrating multiple systems, and of course, you have these terrible problems with when it doesn't work at the interface, who do you blame? And by the way, in a lot of these recurring billing businesses, the action's happening just a couple of days a month. And if those systems happen to not get along well during that key key time of the year, you got a really big problem, right? So I can't name a single customer who says, gee, what I really would rather do is, aggregate 15 different vendors with 15 different point solutions and then try to hold them all responsible for an SLA when I could go to one. Now, the presumably disadvantage to one is if if that one vendor imposes upon you how you have to do business, right, because their system isn't flexible, well then, yeah, then you're going to have no choice but to go out to the multiple vendors. So what we've built is a system that's completely configurable and allows those components to work together with a single source, but configured to work in the way that our customers want it to work. Looks and feels the way they want it to look and feel and, it, and imposes the business rules that their business wants it to impose, mm-hmm. right? That's the sort of, you know, high end to the right on the two by two, which is one vendor, super flexible, right? And that's where we come in.
1: And so how do you see the businesses today investing into that? So do you see businesses looking for multiple unique solutions or it really just depends on the segment and size?
0: I know. I mean, we see everybody. I mean, all the point solutions are being acquired into overall system vendors. That always happens. There's always a, to show my age, there's always the Microsoft Office effect, right? There's always the suite of components rather than the individual components over time. Mm -hmm. Um, As long as the economics of that are favorable and you don't lock a customer into some way of doing business that isn't consistent with how they want to do it. And so, uh, like I said, there's no customer that says, yeah, what I really want is to manage 10 different vendors when I could trust one. But the trick is you got to trust that one, right? Right. And We have to, customers have to believe that A, we're going to continue to innovate on their behalf and B, we're not going to get them locked into some situation where we're going to gouge them, right? I mean, the classic enterprise software play is get people locked into your stuff and then start jacking up the prices and charging them for modules and getting them in a place where they can't get away from you. and we recognize that we don't like it when vendors do that to us on the other side, and we don't do that to our customers because, frankly, we think the best way to grow the business is to have everybody love what we're doing and talk to the others in the industries about it. And that's what's propelled us forward.
1: Just to, to pivot a little bit based on, I think, something that you mentioned well, earlier of the start of PayNearMe and how you actually bring customers in based on that, the, the cash deposit solution that you have. I guess you know, there's been a lot of talk in, in, in the industry about you know, cashless society, uh, especially the, you know, the time we're going into removing cash or taking cash as, away as much as possible. Uh, I just want to get your perspective on it, um, given that you know, you've had a lot of you know, production and, and, and success in that market. Um, just to get your thoughts on what the, the cashless society uh, term is and, and how you see it moving forward.
0: Well, I, you know, it's a it's a nice idea. It's not actually happening in practice. Uh, yes, if you're wealthy and you're going to high end stores or high end restaurants, yeah, those it may be possible those folks will preclude you from paying with cash. But there isn't a government agency on the planet that's going to be able to turn cash off. There isn't a you know, frankly, anybody providing a recurring service who isn't gonna be, who's going to turn cash off, because there's a huge chunk of the population that's un or underbanked that will it has and will continue to rely upon cash. In mm-hmm. fact, the percentage of underbanked, I think, had fallen as low as maybe 5% or something, but the, there are new studies out that suggest that number has to drive dramatically because of COVID. I mean, people are being driven out of the banking system. And then underbanked, which is you know, 17 18% of the population, that means you've got a bank account, but you routinely use alternative financial services. So maybe you've got a bank account, but maybe you're overdrawn. And if you deposit your money into that account, it's going to service the overdraft rather than paying the bill you want to pay. So people will go around the banking system to pay a bill to ensure that that bill gets covered. And then there's also big chunks of the population that are, frankly, they're paid in cash. And um, and so it's just it's easier for them to use the cash they've got on hand to pay their bills. What we do find, and it's what's driven the evolution of our company, is that a person who pays in cash this month may not pay in cash next month. Mm-hmm. So People are constantly moving around the tender types they use. And that's why we integrate, when we present the payment experience, the consumer can choose what form of tender they want to use this month. Do they want to use the ACH credentials they have, they have on file? Do they want to use a debit card? Do they want to use Apple Pay? Do they want to use Google Pay? Do they want to go to the store and pay with cash? And we, we let them do that. Um, subject to whatever constraints the, our customer and the biller wants to place on that. Um, so yeah, cash isn't going anywhere and anybody who thinks it's going anywhere is um I'm sorry, in the segments that we serve is is frankly, people in our in our segments we serve don't even delude themselves of that belief because they already know it. They're already taking money orders or they're, you know, they're they're taking cash through a walk-up window or they've got a need for it. So you know, we hear about it all the time.
1: Right. Yeah, and you, you did mention banking um and, and billers. So I'd like to merge that that topic together as well. Um, can you talk about like the trend of the banking and, and sure. the shift from payments from banks, with the yeah. traditional, now moving over to more of a, like biller websites? Yeah, space. I mean that's a really
0: important point. That frankly, I probably buried the lead on pointing stuff at the beginning. So, um, you know, I'm old enough that when I first used, my first money to pay bills, I got bills in the mail and I wrote a check mm-hmm. uh, and started in an envelope with a stamp and balanced my check register and all that. That, Funny
1: uh, enough, it still exists. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well,
0: I don't know if people are the
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> um, then we were all excited to get online bank bill pay, where I could go into my bank account, and I could enter my billers and push them out. And that, for a long time, dominated. Me. That has completely collapsed, right? So all the vast majority, 75% plus of bill payment now is biller direct, which means the consumer is not pushing money from their bank account to the biller. They're going to the biller's website or mobile app or interacting with them on the phone or the IBR and paying their bill. (laughs) And the reason they're doing that is because people want real-time information, right? So bank bill pay is not real-time. Bank bill pay very rarely reflects your current balance, right? You're just dealing with, you're either dealing with no information or stale information and when you pay for your bank, the only option you have is to pay from your bank. Mm -hmm. I go to the biller, I'm going to see exactly what I owe right now. If I make a payment, they're going to credit to me exactly right now in real time. Um, I can pay them with a credit card, I can pay them by giving them ACH credentials. If I pay near me, I can pay them with cash. And so that's why 75% of billing has gone to biller direct. And it's all about the fact that only the biller has a system of record at their disposal that has that can both provide and take in all the relevant payment information, which then leads to why we built our Entire this entire customer management system on top of the system of record by extract taking information out, normalizing it, make, presenting it in the way that our customer wants it presented, and then writing the right information back down. Right, and so to to, to touch on
1: that a bit, so your product has obviously gone through a, a massive evolution, starting with Cash um, and moving it to you know, digital ecosystem or platform play yeah. um, specifically. Where do you see the trends happening in the next two to three years? And then to jump even further than that, let's let's give you about a 10-year mark, um, who, you know, if you can even assume where we're going to be at that point. I'd love to get your thoughts on on the trends and where we're going.
0: You know, my cliche answer is the only constant is change. You know, we know that customers are going to get increasingly demanding about having a great payment experience. And I think mean, it's really written. they want... They want to know exactly what they own now. And when they pay, they want it credited right now. And they want to pay with whatever is the current popular thing to pay with, whether that's Venmo or Apple Pay or Google or their ACH or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. They're going to want to pay the way they want to want to pay through the channel they want to pay on. They want to pay on the web, they want to pay on the web. They want to pay on mobile, they want to pay on the mobile. They want to pay with IVR, they want to CSR. All those things. And that's going to keep evolving. Right. Therefore, any customer any business or government agency looking to implement a building system, the number one thing they should be looking for is long-term flexibility because we know it's, it was static for so many years and it's, it's so dynamic now that, that they've got to make the choice to work with, to pick a an implementation strategy that will provide them the greatest flexibility. If they have developers coming out of their ears, then go use the stripes and brain trees of the world and build your own thing and commit millions of dollars a year keeping it updated or come talk to somebody like us who's spending the tens of millions of dollars a year to make sure that we have the completely flexible system that will grow with them and let them do what they want and save their developers for something else.
1: Mm -hmm. So who would you say is your direct competitors, given that, you know, Braintree and and Stripe are probably in a a different segment. than you guys? We
0: we see um, legacy vendor, we see typically is ACI. Okay. And then, um, you know, there's some smaller other Guys who are trying to try to do what we do, but we're the only folks who have every tender type, including cash, and who have this very sophisticated business logic engine. And then, of course, to your point, there's a handful of point solutions that people might choose to aggregate. Right. But generally speaking, if you if you if you want all forms of tender, and you want to be able to control your business logic, and then get all the other stuff we talked about, we're, we're literally the only choice out there.
1: Yeah, and that's a pretty unique position to be in. Yeah, uh, well, think... the, yeah, just given the influx of, of payment companies over the last five five to 10 years and still having that, that, that market under grasp um, is, is pretty impressive from, from your perspective.
0: Well, I mean, it took us 10 years to build out the cash network, and I think that's a pretty hard thing for anybody to yeah. produce. And like I said, in the segments we're in, look, even if cash is only 5% of the receivables, I'm, I know it's more than 5% of the cost and more than 5% of the headaches.
1: Yeah, so there's no question uh, about right. that. And then if you're going to automate
0: that, and you know that the people are using cash and going and other tender types, then you know you have to present. You don't want you don't want it to be like pay this way or go to the Western Union agent, right? Right. I mean that's that's just bad for you, and that's bad for your consumer. You want it to be fluid. And yet you, on the on the input side, when you when you the biller or the government agency are credited, you want one settlement file, one reconciliation that is completely transparent with respect to what form of tender the, ch- the customer chose to pay in that, that way.
1: Yeah. And I think the way you've done it uh, um, specifically, you know, what we see with currency cloud is that, you know, we provide infrastructure to other fintechs and, and provide that cross border aspect. And we avoid going through the partner route where you, you you can sign on a different partner. And now, now you're kind of working with two different models here. I like the way that you guys have done it is that you actually built it yourself um, and then offer that as an offering rather than, introduce a partner to then your customer will have that experience. But at the same time, now you have to deal with multiple vendors through a partnership. Um, So it's about you getting that ownership and and providing the most value
0: to your customer that way as well. Right, and while giving the flexibility what they want. I mean, the trick for us would be to make sure that, to make sure that our customers, that we can serve all their needs, but that they don't feel like they have to. Because if they feel like they have to, they're not gonna wanna work with us because they're worried they're gonna get locked in.
1: Right. Right, so you talked about the customers that are using your platform. Can you talk about how they're using you today and the the types of customers and the success that they're getting from utilizing the platform?
0: Sure, let's start with an example of cash, for example. One main financial is a big lender and they they have both an online and a, a physical store presence. And they wanted to move the cash out of their stores. So they moved all of that to us. Mm-hmm. and that has re- resulted in dramatic economic savings to them. And now you know, we're optimistic that we can do much more for them as they, as they move to take care of more, you need more of their platform. And then another really good example is, and we talked about some of this a bit, it's a great, I unfortunately I can't use the name, but it's a very successful auto lender who had one of the legacy payments providers for them. And they had reliability problems and user experience problems and inflexibility and they gave us 90 days to replace the entire system. And so now we run their portal. We run their mobile. We run their IVR. Their customer service reps interact with us. We process tender through all the tender types. We populate the mobile wallets for them. They were the ones who came to us. They thought we were going to have to hard code some business logic for things like what to do if a customer bounced on an NSF. <laughs> and it's like, well, we have this as general rule. Make up as many rules as you want. So now they'll go in and add rules and modify those rules. And you know, sure, 90 days later they will get rid of the legacy players, save, say, you know, an incredible amount of money, improve their payment rates. And that makes a huge difference to them because their ability to maintain access to warehouse loans depends on the performance of the payments of the loans they have in-house. And so w- what we've done for them has been super strategic. And, and those are just, you know, examples. We're also doing disbursements now for others. It's, you know, generally speaking, we have a pretty happy roster of customers.
1: Yeah, and it's two two really good stories there. Just, just out of curiosity, you know how how do you guys obviously with the product itself you're providing immense value? How do you win these? And do do you go in with more of like a return on investment? Do you show over time credibility, all the above. Given that you have so many different features that are beneficial, um, just out of curiosity, like how, how how do you win
0: them over? For sure? that's a very that's actually a very thoughtful question. It's something we continue to work on. Obviously, the places where we have the greatest success is where we're in a vertical and and either a competitive or non-competitive player in that vertical is envious of what we've done with an existing customer. So it's classic, you know, we got our first auto lenders for cash, then we got almost all auto lenders for cash. And then it became, you couldn't be competitive as an auto lender if you didn't have paying area for cash. And then we went back into those accounts and upgraded them to the full suite. And we're able to do that continually. And that led them the ability to get to personal lenders and other adjacent players By the way, it turns out the way those operate, those requirements look a lot like how government water agencies and other municipalities work. So we've had tremendous success in there. So it's that's one. And then two is obviously with such flexibility, you wanna get down to the core messages that resonate with folks. And generally it's about how do we enforce your business rules for all tender types to improve your collection rate and reduce your customer service costs. And then, if we can get to the point where a customer does a, when we get the customer to do a a, a product deep dive with us for that, at that point, it's pretty much game over because mm-hmm. we're, our yeah. product is so superior to um, the alternatives.
1: And you've really covered the two, probably the hardest thing to do. The two of them, I think in, in, in the business. Of- Aspect is the credibility and the referenceability, and I think having or both credibility, referenceability,
0: things. and unique capabilities. Nobody else has a cash network that's integrated. Nobody else has. It.
1: Yeah, differentiator for
0: sure. Yeah, yeah. right, and then one that isn't going away. So.
1: Excellent. To transition, just as a you know, in a personal aspect, you know, how did you get involved in in payments itself? I know it's you know some time, but when, could could you talk about that story for? Our future payment and innovation uh, listeners hear that?
0: Sure. Uh, I mean, uh, you know, my, I got involved back in 1999. My first startup was the company that Amazon bought was PayPal before there was a PayPal. So when PayPal was called Confinity and you had to buy things at eBay by sending them a check, we mm-hmm. created a company that originally was going to actually originally it was going to be an escrow service for eBay that then became a payment service for that kind of market. And Amazon, back in '99, decided it wanted to stop selling just for itself, but enable a platform for third-party sellers. Hard to imagine that that's a novel concept at the time.
1: <laughs> <Imagine. clears
0: throat> and the insight they had was, well, you know, Amazon was such a better experience than eBay was. How could they improve the payment? Exp- how could they improve the buyer experience vis-a-vis eBay? And one of the obvious things was payments. And so they acquired our company, and uh, we all moved up there and became be- beginning of Amazon Payments.
1: Oh, that's that's, really that was my
0: first payments experience.
1: Very interesting, yeah. What was, what was the name of that company again?
0: Uh, accept.com.
1: Accept.com, okay. And do you know if they're still using, you know, they've used that? You know, I think the, I know,
0: that, apparently that code, some parts of our code apparently lasted for 10 or 11 years, but I think it's been, you know, Okay. Gee, that was 20 years ago almost. So I, I can't imagine there's an ounce of code left. Some of the people are left, but I can't imagine the code left.
1: Yeah, it's just amazing what they're what they're doing with technology now. Oh, Amazon
0: is Amazon's amazing.
1: Yeah, and so I guess to to get close to wrap up here, you know, what would you suggest you know someone entering the space now, maybe maybe focus in on, or how would you to go about if they're looking to start looking at new ways of creating a, you know payment innovation? Uh, do you have any thoughts uh, that you could suggest well to someone? I don't
0: have any brilliant insights. I, I my general advice to anybody is. If you're going to do a startup, just make sure you're unbelievably passionate about whatever idea you're working on because it's going to be much harder than you think. And if you're not super passionate, by the way, and also super flexible, because nothing ever works out the way you think it's going to work out, <laughs> you're going to fail. But if you love it and that gives you the energy to keep going and you're flexible, so you're listening to your customers and they're telling you, hey, I don't want that, but I want this, then you know you'll likely succeed. I'm fond of saying, you know, startups only fail when they run out of money or run out of heart. Yeah. So your job is to see as CEOs make sure neither of those two things
1: happen. Yeah, I appreciate that. I think, um, you know, like I mentioned, we have a good amount of listeners that uh, start to come out with their own ideas and, and products and uh, bringing in bringing folks on uh, like yourself really helps them. And then also connect. Um, there's some partnership opportunities that come about as well um, based off of guests that we've had on. So, um, well, Danny, it was really good to have you on today. We'll, we'll go ahead and share your your information and I'm sure there'll be some Opportunities from that, and you know, looking forward to seeing you guys grow uh, over the years.
0: Awesome! Thanks so much. I really appreciate it. Take care.
1: Currency Cloud is an online payments company that makes international money transfers fast and simple for businesses. We're building a borderless future where international transactions are seamless for a better user experience. Discover the world's most trusted payment platform and our toolkit of developer-friendly APIs at currencycloud.com.
0: You've been listening to the Payments Innovation Podcast. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe now in iTunes or your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. Until next time.